bring me up to speed on what we've been talking about the last few weeks with this. Nehemiah. Yes, uh, areas to stumble, potential areas of temptation or sin. Um, Can you guys drop these lights just to hear? Um, I hear Tom, but I don't have a clue where he is. (laughs) Did he move? He's moving. His voice is changing. So, yeah, um, potential areas, pitfalls, temptation to sin, uh, baggage, stuff like that, things things of our past, things that are hindering us from really moving forward. Um, this is this is the this is part of the the thing that I think that um, the Lord is doing with the book of Nehemiah is that if we look at Nehemiah as as a uh, type of the Holy Spirit, that Nehemiah is trying to rebuild the walls in our life. Remember, the temple ha- was built when when Hananiah or whatever his name is comes to to Nehemiah, he says, "How are my people? How are the people doing? How are God's people doing?" He says, well, the temple's been rebuilt, but the walls are still torn down. Again, in a physical sense, in a that-time physical sense, they put God first, but they couldn't serve God the way they wanted to because they were being harassed by the enemy constantly. There was too many broken areas in the walls. So for us, when we give our heart to the Lord, we are saying, okay, Jesus, I want you to be in charge. You guys, I've been watching this all of my adult life. I've been, I've been in ministry since I was 20. All of my life, I've watched people give their heart to Jesus Christ, and then some of them do well, and some of them don't. Some of them struggle forever. Some of them are, are, are so controlled by their past and the baggage and all the stuff, and some people are not. Some people can move right away from that stuff, and you say, well, yeah, because some people have more baggage than other people. That's, that has nothing to do with it. It, it's people with, with similar baggage. Some move forward, some don't. And, and I believe if we, can, if we can really wrap our minds around the book of Nehemiah from this perspective, Lord, I, the temple's built. My heart belongs to you. I want to serve you. Man, I got a lot of holes in my walls. Got a lot of broken down stuff from, from, from culture, from just my own mind, spirit, uh, potential for sin, for potential for um, temptation to take over and be strong. Uh, all, these, all these different things that, again, I was, I was talking about a little bit earlier, the gentleman that I, I was meeting with today that is going to be our speaker for, the, um, for our, our um, men's rally in February. And he's talking about, we, I mean, we sat there for a few hours just going over all kinds of, of things and some of the stuff he's going to speak about and just stuff, and just kept talking about how, how people in, in um, he, he, we were specifically talking about men, obviously, because that's the point of this whole thing, but how men in today's society and today's church world don't act like men. They don't stand up and, and take authority o- over their, their, their uh, world and their life and, and their family and, and carry this thing forward. And, and it's so challenging for us to do that. And there's a bunch of reasons. And one of these reasons, I think, it fits very comfortably into what we're talking about here is that the walls are torn down through whatever. There's, there's, a, there's a, thousands of options from backwards to right now today 
that can, that can hinder me and disable me if I let them. And so if we let Nehemiah show us how the Holy Spirit is, is trying to speak to us and guide us and trying to, to come to us and say, okay, you're wanting to serve Jesus now. You've made him Lord over your life. You've been covered with the blood of Jesus. Now what do you do with this? Now some of this is at the foot of the, the church. I, I believe the church needs to own some of this. The, the, the kind of the evangelical groups that are so anti-Pentecostal, they say, oh no, you've got everything you need in salvation. The whole, you've got the fullness of the Holy Spirit. There is no such thing as as, as a, an infilling or a baptism or an empowerment, none of that stuff, that's that, the Pentecostals all created that. You got, you've got, you, once you're covered with the blood of Jesus, you've got everything. You don't need anything else. Guys, that has hindered, that has hindered the church, greatly hindered the church. Because why? Because you've, got, you've been covered with the blood of Jesus, but there's a lot of broken walls. You've been made right with God. Now you began the process of, of, setting yourself apart for the Lord because he set himself apart for you. You begin the process of the Holy Spirit being in you, not just with you. All these different things. And this is why it's so important to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, to pray in the Spirit regularly, to see that the Holy Spirit is the active power agent. And I know I've talked about this stuff lots before, but to to get the picture, the reason that, that Jesus describes himself as sitting at the right hand of God the Father is because he covers this with his blood, but he does not have this, he, he does in the big sense, he still is omnipresent and all that other stuff, but the reason he verbally describes in Scripture that he is sitting at the right hand of God the Father is because the Holy Spirit is going to empower us. We always talk about, well, I need to be filled with Jesus. Okay, that's true. You know, I've asked Jesus in my heart. That's true. There's nothing wrong about that verbalization. Scripture would back that up, except that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. So the actual daily empowerment mentality from their perspective, not from our perspective, but from God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit's perspective is that God's sitting on the throne, Jesus is sitting at his right hand, and the Holy Spirit is the one who is empowering us and living within us. The Holy Spirit is doing that. And this is an ongoing, constant, ongoing thing. It's not a one-time meets-all-needs kind of thinking process. Okay, so to answer some of your questions, yes, I don't have my brace on. Yes, I don't. I'm fine as long as I don't pick anything up. I can pick this up, but I really shouldn't pick this up with this hand. So I'm fine, but it, but it feels weird sometimes. So, so I'll have my brace on Sunday. I'll be fine. Um, but we really need the power of the Holy Spirit guiding us and leading us, and this is, this is where we're walking with this with this story of Nehemiah is to say, what, what are the broken areas in my life? What are the walls broke down? And, and by the way, a pastor by the name of Jack Hayford took a very similar focus of this that I'm talking about with all of this, and he built an entire um, counseling, spiritual development plan for his church that they, that they used for 30 years based upon the book of Nehemiah. Because why? If you, if you can see in your, in your spirit, Nehemiah, I want to look at you, and I want to see the Holy Spirit, and I want to see how the Holy Spirit's trying to work in me. It's pretty powerful. It's pretty amazing stuff. So we went, we went over all of the... Um, we came up to a place last Wednesday, and I want, to, I want to go to this place. So we were looking at... Remember in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and I think this is huge. It talks about the peace of God. 
But, but when I look this up in the Greek, the, um, the, the statement, the peace of God there, we would see this as, a, as a, a, um, a feeling on the inside of contentment or something like that. That's how we would describe that kind of thing. But the way the Greek uses this term peace right here is more like fragments that are being put together. That, that God puts the fragments together uh, of our existence in our life. And therefore, that's where we get peace from, is that's the way he's designed us. He puts us back together. Remember, I talked about this last week, going back to um, the Garden of Eden. That's how God designed us. Garden of Eden is how God des- Oh, you guys are turning those off. I thought I was passing out. Uh, the, the way God designed us in the Garden of Eden is the way we were supposed to be. And sin changed that. Sin broke us. We're not whole now. Even when you get saved, you're not whole. You're still in a sin uh, environment. You're still, that doesn't mean you are full of sin. You're covered with the blood of Jesus. You're made right with God. But you are not. We're still, we're still trapped by this 1 Corinthians 13 thing. If we were completely made whole at salvation, I would be able to see God in a physical sense. I'm still broken. I'm still not complete. And that won't happen until we step into eternity with the Lord. Okay, so, so when we're looking at the concept of saying, okay, if I, once I'm covered with the blood of Jesus, I've been made new in Christ, and I am right with God, but I still potentially have issues. I have stuff. I have things. Now, at some level, this is a submission to those things or a decision not to. That's, that's what Romans is about. But, but the concept of saying, okay, Lord, now uh, what, do I, what do I do with this body, with this life, with this existence? And, uh, and to say, okay, in 1 Thessalonians, he says, in the, in, the, in the peace of God puts those fragments back together. He, makes, he, he is building us back up. We don't totally ever get there completely, but he is building us back up. And this is the key as when you look at some people and they seem to have a stronger relationship with God than other people is because of choices along the way. Now, you don't necessarily know if they do, but, but I'm saying let's assume that what you're seeing is true and, and they do have a stronger relationship with God. There's lots and lots of choices that go into that. Lots of choices that say, Lord, I want to be rebuilt. I want to be made whole. I don't want to be continue to be broken. So one of our responsibilities is exactly what Nehemiah is about to do. We're going to get to that actually um, <clears throat> week after next. Uh, as we get to, to the, I'm going to get a little bit into chapter two tonight. But as we get to the second half, he actually begins to build supplies and do all this kind of stuff. Why? Because he he is systematically saying, okay, there's a hole in the wall over here. What do we need to fix that hole? We we need certain things to fix that hole. He doesn't just get a bunch of block and hope it all works or get a bunch of wood and hope it all works. He has to know this hole is this dimensions. It's built. There's this gate that has this. He has to know exactly about that particular area of the wall so that he can fix that area of the wall. And this is for us. We have to be able to systematically go into our life and say, God, what are you trying to do with me? What are you trying to do here? Holy Spirit, change me. Do something with me. Fix this broken area of my life. Fix this area where I'm, I'm susceptible to sin. I'm, I'm susceptible to attitude or anger. Rebellion comes up here. I've got, I've got unforgiveness. I've got, I've got baggage. I've got so much pain from this issue of mine. I need you to build that wall. And the Holy Spirit systematically sits with us and says, 
you need to do this, and you need to do this, and you need to, and that's why the name for the Holy Spirit is the Counselor, because He counsels us better than any counselor on the planet can do. Now, again, I mentioned this last week, <clears throat> um, so I don't want to confuse this. I, I never would say to the extent, and, and I get this every now and then is why I'm saying this. I, I, I do not say to the extent the Holy Spirit's a counselor, so you don't need other counselors. I, I think it's the exact opposite. The, the longer I live and the older I get and the more I interact with people and stuff, I actually believe that all of us could use counseling in our life on a regular basis. The concept in today's society is we've just built professional counselors as like um, a separate group, and there's a stigma that's attached to that. But Scripture talks to us constantly about having uh, people in our lives, many counselors in our lives, people mentoring and developing. And, and sometimes I think you need to go to a counselor and pay them. Why do I say it that way? Because I know as a pastor, I've never been paid for counseling, ever. And I won't be. The reason is... I'm going to say some things to you you may not like. I don't want to give your money back. You didn't pay me. So if you don't like it, all right, whatever. That's not really the reason. But, um, but I, I think some, and I've, I've thought this many times. As a pastor, sometimes people come to me for counseling because it's a last-ditch effort, and they got no other thing. And, and like their, especially marriage counseling, their, their spouse said, well, if you'll go to counseling, we'll try to work this out. And so they say, well, will you, come, will you talk to the pastor? You know what somebody says when they say, will you, will you talk to the pastor? You know what that means most of the time? He'll be on my side, so why don't we go talk to him? That's what people think in their head, which is interesting because I usually seem to surprise people as to what side or how all that looks. But they don't want to pay for it because they don't really want to go to counseling. Right? Right? They want to go get a hamburger. They'll pay for that. That's a top priority. Saving your marriage, can we get it free? A discount. I was watching, uh, you guys know who Bob Newhart is? I was watching some of his old, like, 1950s, 1960s comedy skits, and he's talking about one about airplanes. He hates to fly. And he said, I do my research on the airlines, and I figure out who pays their pilots the most, and I fly on those airlines. Kind of makes sense. I don't want the, the discount guy. I don't want the guy, hey, can we pay you the very least? You can't get a job with anybody else, so can we pay you the least and you take uh, 150, 200 people into the sky, right? So I, I think for us, the idea of counsel and I need help figuring out the, the broken walls. I need help. I need friends. I need spouse. I need a counselor. I need mentors. I need accountability partners. I need help figuring out the stuff in my life. It's amazing if you took two or three people that are close to you right now, and this, this won't happen. They most likely won't do this for you. But if you took two or three, maybe five people that are very close to you and said, tell me the areas of my life I need to change, they know what they are. They know what they are. Your spouse knows the bigger issues of your life. They know what they are. But there's very little chance they're going to tell you. Because one of our issues is, don't tell me that stuff. I don't want to know. If, a, if a, a, a close friend of yours literally sat down with you and said, you know what, you've got some major issues. These are those issues. 
the chances of them continuing to be your friend go way down. That's just, this is one of the reasons I don't do a lot of marriage counseling. I do pre-marriage counseling. I don't do, I'll do every now and then uh, under certain circumstances, but I don't do a lot of marriage counseling. You know why? Most of the time, those people will leave the church. Because ultimately, they don't want to deal with this stuff. They don't want to hear with it, hear about it. And it's easier, after they kind of start getting along a little bit better, it's easier to pretend like there's no issues, but you still need a bad guy because you really did have issues, and the pastor becomes the bad guy. And also the fact that I sit up here and speak, and people sit in the congregation, if I say anything that has anything close to do with what they're dealing with, well, I'm picking on them from the pulpit, and that's not cool. You're, you're calling us out. No, I'm not. I've been saying the same thing. You can, go, you can go back 28 years, listen to some of the first sermons I ever preached. I don't change a lot. Same stuff. I ain't picking on you. But it's amazing how we don't really want to fix the broken areas of our life. And it's easier to make somebody else a bad guy or pick on this or, do so, or just keep moving on. Just move down the road somewhere else to, to, so that somebody doesn't know my issues, doesn't know the stuff. At what point do we say, okay, Lord, I've got some broken walls. I need you to deal with them. Okay, so we talked about this uh, last week and the week before. What's the first thing that Nehemiah does when he hears that the walls of, of uh, Jerusalem are broken down? He, he gets before God, prays and fasts for, for a long time. He's broken. Which, again, I think is a perfect picture for us to see the Holy Spirit does that for us. I think the Holy Spirit is so much more broken for us than we could ever imagine. I think the Holy Spirit weeps for us. Remember what, what a main job of the Holy Spirit is to talk to God for us and with us and about us. And guys, we have issues. We have issues. I talked to a guy just in the last few weeks. That um, <clears throat> he's not from around here, but he's talking about church and and going to church, and you know he's nobody in the church likes him, and he's not connecting, and and all these different things. And I listened for a long time, and I so I'm kind of playing games with his head a little bit. So I said, so he's talking about he's going to go to this different church. I'm like, well, maybe if, if that second church works out, give me a holler. Maybe I'll go there with you. And he said, what? And I said, because nobody's connecting with me at our church. I don't, I don't think anybody likes me. On Sundays, I'm like the only one that talks. And I start going through all this stuff. He's like, it doesn't even make sense. You're the pastor. What do you mean nobody connects with you? You know why people connect with me, whether it be in church or at the grocery store or in my neighborhood? Because I talk to them. That's why people connect, because I say hi. If I don't go say hi to somebody, most people don't come up to me and talk to me, especially newer people. They don't come talk to me. And by the way, I'm not saying this in a negative sense. I don't, I don't lose sleep over this. It's not like I'm like, oh, they don't like me. I really don't think like that. I don't struggle with that. But it's amazing how many times I've heard, had people say to me, Pastor, you, you didn't even say hi to me. No, you didn't say hi to me. 
that street goes both ways. I don't understand. I don't understand. You didn't say hi to me. I've never understood that. You didn't say hi to me. You need a spanking. You're five. Guys, every, all of this is decisions. All of this is decisions. You can't say, well, nobody likes me, nobody's connecting, all that kind of stuff. You, you can't. That's you. That's, I, I, I just don't understand why we think like this and why we do stuff like this. Well, I do. This is the point I'm bringing. is because there's holes in the wall. There's cracks in the wall. It has nothing to do with the people around you. It has to do with the cracks in the wall. Have you ever heard somebody say something like a, 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 an addiction or a sin or something? Um, like uh, smoking. I, I don't think smoking is a sin, but what I'm saying is they say, well, I, I can't stop. I can't stop smoking. I get that. Addictions are strong. Addictions are powerful. But if, if they take your child and dangle them off a cliff and, and say, I will hold on to this rope as long as you don't smoke, Right? How many of you would eventually go, all right, drop them, i got to have a cigarette? Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Oh, that would be strong. You may be going through DTs right there in front of everybody. You may be crazy and eating the bark off of a tree, but your child's in the balance. The, the reason that I'm saying that is because at some level, Everything is a choice. We choose. We choose. Now, I would say there are certain drugs that would go into a different category because I've watched people throw their children away. I've watched people throw their lives away. Okay? But, but for the most part, stuff is a choice. What are we doing with it? Do we even want the Lord to show us what the holes in the wall are? Do we want him to? You have things right now. I have things right now. Every one of us have stuff right now that the Holy Spirit wants to deal with. Right now. Every one of us. So are we willing to say, Holy Spirit, show me. What's the first thing Nehemiah does? He gets on his face before God. Now, I want to go to um, <clears throat> who has uh, a Bible. Grab a Bible in front of you. <clears throat> I talked a lot uh, two weeks ago about holiness. This is one of the most important things about holiness. I, I don't think that the major reason for holiness is just so that we don't go to hell. Okay, sin, sin will take you to hell. Don't sin so you don't go to hell. I really don't think that's it. To me, that's the same thing as saying, you know why I don't have an affair on my wife? Because I want to stay married to her. Really? That's it? That's the only reason. Do you, want, do you want your spouse to say that about you? The only reason I haven't had an affair on you is because I don't want to have a divorce. That's it. That's all you got. That's what we're saying to God. God, I don't sin because I don't want to go to hell. Eh, there's got to be more to this. It's got to be a relationship thing. Well, what I was talking about two weeks ago is the fact that holiness is actually trying to get back to the way God had originally designed us and created us. Sin breaks us. We're trying to put that back together. Striving toward God and trying to look more like Him and be more like Him, which is holiness. Less of us, less sin, more of God, is God putting the pieces, allowing us allowing God, asking God, needing God to put the pieces back together. I don't, I don't want to 
I don't want to give myself over here. I, I just I, I had a conversation very recently about this. Again, not somebody around here, but I'm talking about um, uh, sex before marriage. Why, why is that such a big deal? There's lots of reasons. Let me give you one. You're consummating something before you've developed it. You're finalizing it, sealing it up, wrapping the bow around it, and, and finishing it before it's actually a connection. And you're consummating it, which means you're connecting to them spiritually, according to Scripture. Spiritually, you are one. Physically, you have, you have traded, you have, you have uh, given yourself to each other. That means emotionally and all kinds of stuff. You've given yourself to each other. And then we, we wonder why we're so broken, so brokenhearted, so messed up, depressed, and all kinds of things, going from relationship to relationship to relationship, and we wonder why these relationships don't work. I've been telling, I've been telling people for years, back when, in, in 1990 when I was a youth pastor, I started saying to teenagers, you want to you mess up a potentially good relationship? Have sex before you get married. And you say, well, but, but if we get married, that fixes it all. No, it doesn't. This is the part where I've sat with hundreds of people over the years. You have sex before you get married, and you still deal with that after you get married. There is still a, a brokenness. There's a disconnect and, and, a, and, a, and a sin issue that you've brought into this marriage. You started it with sin. You didn't start it with God. You didn't start it with holiness. You didn't start it with righteous thinking. You started it by opening the door and saying, Satan, we dedicate this relationship to you. Why? Because we're going to consummate this and dedicate this, and it ain't to God because it's in sin, so there's only one other option. We're going to do this the way we want to do this. Now, does that mean it's broken forever? No, the Holy Spirit's big, and he can do a lot of things. But, but one of the things is you've got to go to that broken area of the wall and say, wait a second, maybe we need to talk about this and address this. I've sat with people who've been married 30 years and go, you know what, let's talk about this. Let's process this. Maybe there's some of the reasons that we're struggling. Maybe, and when you begin to unpack it, it's usually not just, oh, we had sex before marriage. There's usually a lot more to it than that. There's a lot of other issues that are intertwined within that. This is the, the concept of holiness, is saying, God, I want to be more like you and less like me. That's why we got to go down the road and deal with this stuff. God, I need help with this. So, somebody's got a Bible in front of them. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. Somebody read it loud and read it proud. Okay, you've been born again through imperishable seed, all right? When you're born physically on this earth, you're born with perishable seed, correct? Okay, um, it's human seed. That human seed will die. Uh, you, you are created by God spiritually to live forever, but the body that is physically born is dying. It's broken from day one. It will eventually die. It will eventually run out. My grandfather used to say this about cars all the time. He'd say, that car's broken. I'd say, what do you mean? Well, I don't know where, but it's broken. It's just a matter of time. And he would, his big deal was he didn't want to buy anything extra on a car. Now, this was a long time. This was like in the 70s, early 70s. Uh, like when, when power locks first came out, 
He said, I don't, I'm not buying power locks. Why? Because they'll just break. That's a sad place to live, in my opinion. But, and so, um, so when we, when, when my dad, when I'm a kid, my dad bought a new car or something like that. Okay, so the little tiny triangle windows right up at the front, front seats, you remember those? And you would angle them and blow air in. We were never allowed to open those, ever. Because once you open them once, they're never the same. It's true, I can't argue with it, but why have it? Locks, like door handles, all that kind of stuff. And I've even caught myself saying the same thing to my kids. We're like, you've got a, a I, don't, I don't know, like a, like a Nintendo remote or something. And they're sitting there just doing this with the, they're not playing the game or something, they're just sitting there like watching TV and doing that with the knobs. And I, and I feel like my dad, I feel like my grandfather, that button has a, a limited life. It has a certain amount of times. It may be 100 moves. It may be 200,000 moves. But every time you move it, you're taking one of those away. That's a sad place to live, right? But in, in the big picture of things, that's how we're born. We're born by a perishable seed. We have limited lifespan. We're going to die. And if everything goes really good, you'll live long. But statistically, that doesn't happen. We're dying. So then when he says, but now you're born of imperishable seed. He's, we always say, well, that means spiritually. And it does mean spiritually. But do you realize that Adam and Eve were created from imperishable, maybe not seed, but imperishable mentality? They were intended to live forever. We're broken. We're not going to live forever. But when he says, when you accept Jesus as your Savior, now you are going back to the imperishable seed. This is, this is the wonderful thing about when Paul says that Jesus is the second Adam. You ever thought about that? What did the first Adam do? He sinned. He brought death to us. Adam was going to live forever, perfect body, perfect world, perfect everything. Adam sins, and he brings death. Jesus dies, and he brings life. He's, he's the second Adam. He starts the whole thing back over. He gives chance for life again. Before, at, at Adam, we were doing this, and then Jesus dies on the cross, and now we can be redeemed. Pretty cool thing. Um, next scripture. 1 John, chapter 2. Somebody got it? 1 John, chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Now, uh, around here, we're uh, free will people. 
We don't believe that, um, and there are, in fact, I was just looking at some stuff a couple days ago online, uh, some theological stances on you don't have free will, everything's predestined, all that, which I really don't understand how anybody can believe that. It does not make sense in a practical way. It doesn't make sense scripturally that somehow I'm, I'm an uh, automaton or something that's, I, I just, I'm a robot? I, that doesn't make sense. We're, we're, we believe very strongly around here in free will. How do you get saved? You make the decision by faith to accept Jesus Christ. You have free will. That doesn't change after you get saved, which also does away with this unconditional eternal security mentality. Your free will doesn't go away just because you got saved. You're still a free will person. All right. So with that being said, he still gives us an opportunity to say no to sin. And this is one place in Scripture. Guys, there's, there's dozens upon dozens of places where it says that you can choose to walk in the Spirit, that you can choose to follow the Lord, that you can say no to sin. That doesn't give you a license to sin. It says it over and over and over that you have the opportunity to say no to sin. So when you're saying no to sin, you are saying yes to the Lord. You're not just saying no to sin. But be, I mean, in, in, in kind of just a rational thinking sense, if you're saying no to sin, there's got to be a reason. It's the same concept, okay? You're on a diet, and somebody hands you a, a half a gallon of your favorite ice cream. Why would you say no to that? Why would you say no to it? Some of you are like, I, I wouldn't. But let's assume that you were going to say no. Why would you say no? What would be the reason? Yeah, there's a bigger picture. There's a bigger plan. It's more than just that ice cream, okay? Um, which is why people don't say no all the time, because we would rather have the ice cream right now and then gripe and moan about it for the next three months, you know? It, it's, but, but I want the ice cream. And it's the same thing. When we're saying no to sin, it's because there's something else that we value more what do we value more when we say no to sin? Jesus, his plan, his will, his spirit. Lord, I want what you want. I want what you want. I don't, I don't, I don't need that sin. I may want it, but I don't need it. I need you. And that's where spiritual discipline comes in. That's where the decisions come in. The decision factor comes into all of this. Okay, so what time is it? Okay, we got time. All right, now let's go to Nehemiah chapter 2. We finished throughout uh, chapter 1 over the last couple of weeks, so let's go to chapter 2. Uh, let, me, let me bring my Bible up here. 2. All right, so, um, so in the first chapter, what, is, what does he say? Okay, we recognize the walls are broken down. We need to do something about this. Uh, he begins to pray, really seek God, and say, okay, we need to, we need to address this. And uh, then chapter 2 is actually where he starts actually talking about the wall itself and, and, and discussing the fact that he's going to do something about the wall itself. So, so now he's, the first thing he does is he gets on his face before God, and he, and he pleads and fasts and all that stuff. Okay, then chapter 2, early the following spring, 
In the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. Why would he say the statement, I had never before appeared sad in his presence? Why is that a big deal? Yes, that's, why, that's where we're going, but why had he never appeared sad before? I, okay, maybe to the extent that he is sad here, but, but I, don't, I can't go with the fact that he was never sad. Nobody's not ever sad. Now, why is that important? I think that's part of the answer. So what happens if you're sad in front of the king? You might end up dead. Think about this. With people that you have no control over, that work beside you or whatever, uh, don't you hate it when some people are just down all the time? So if you're the king, you make a rule. Nobody can be sad in my presence. And, and I'm, I'm not just thinking maybe possibly. We know from many historical documents, many kings have made that rules. In fact, you know where the concept of court jester came from, right? A clown or, or a singer or a juggler or usually a, a jack-of-all-trades of entertainment would constantly come before the king because the king wanted to be happy. If a, if, a, if a jester did not make the king happy, sometimes they died. So now you've got a cupbearer, which, by the way, a cupbearer doesn't just bring him wine. The job of a cupbearer is actually like an advisor and a confidant. It's, it's uh, somebody that they would, while they're standing there, the king would say, um, hey, Nehemiah, what do you think about what this person just said in the court? There was, there was a, a much closer relationship than just, here's your drink, sir. So he'd never been sad in his presence, not because he had never been sad, but he'd never been sad in his presence. Because that was a bigger deal. And it wasn't always okay to do that. But this one was so big on his heart and his spirit that he couldn't help it. He couldn't, he couldn't not do this. <clears throat> so the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified. You see why earlier he said, I'm not going to be sad. I've never been sad in the king. Now I'm terrified. Why? Because the king just asked me, why are you so sad? Which lets us know that that was not okay under King Artaxerxes' reign. You better be a happy fella. He's a terrified. But I replied, and this is interesting, the reply that he gives. I think there's some really cool stuff in here. Long live the king. Well, how does he say that? What? Yeah, yeah, you're the boss, you're the man. Uh, was I out of line? Did, did I look sad? Ah, <laughs> silly me. He's trying to butter him up. He's trying to, I, I've, I've got a guy coming to uh, speak for us in October um, that he's visited here a couple of times. He and I played baseball together in college. And um, I went to be a youth pastor, and a couple years later, he moved into the area that I was a youth pastor, and he became a youth pastor too. And I went up to one of the services that he, that he had, and I watched him. And, and he did this thing. He took the Lord's Prayer, and he, 
and he broke it down into like 15-year-old teenage talk for uh, the, um, you know, for the early 1990s. And he was explaining this, and he said, first thing that we do when we pray is we butter up God. He wasn't being disrespectful. He was saying, we want, we want to show him adoration. We want to sh- tell him, you're the man. You're God and I'm not. You've heard me say that. This is the same thing he's saying. You're the king. I hope you live a long time, which maybe could help me live a long time. Al? And we see from Jesus himself where it says that he was moved with compassion for the people that lost us. You understand that that was a Holy Spirit thing. That wasn't just Jesus' incarnated flesh that was being moved by this. This was a Holy Spirit moment. The Holy Spirit is moving on him. When, when um, Peter and John go to the temple and they see the guy, uh, the lame guy outside the temple, and it, and it says that Peter looked on ten, intently upon him. That's King James, but Peter looked intently upon him. You know what that moment is right there? That's a Holy Spirit moving Peter's spirit for this person. The Holy Spirit is supernaturally saying, Peter, pay attention. And it may have been something as stark as, I'm about to heal this guy and he sees the whole thing playing out, or his heart is just deeply moved. I mentioned this Sunday over and over, and I I hope this came across, I think it did, that, that the girl, the waitress in the restaurant that had, that had tattooed God's truth on her arm, I, I still can't get her out of my head and my spirit. She doesn't know truth. She doesn't believe Jesus is the answer. But she's tattooed it on her arm. She, it's there in front of her every day. And she's lost. That hurts me. When I'm sitting there and she walks out and I see that, and then I ask her and she says, no, I'm not a Christian. I, a lot of spiritual things. That, I mean, it's like my heart broke at that moment. I don't think that's a me thing. I don't, I don't mean this disrespectfully to people or anything else. I just don't think I care enough about people to have that feeling. You say, well, you're mean or a jerk or uncaring. Well, okay, but I just think people are that way for the most part. Some of you are not. Some of you, everything is a puppy, you know, to your new world. But for me, it's not. The Holy Spirit has to move on me for me to care in certain circumstances. Right. <clears throat> well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a lot more intentional than that. I'm going to, the Holy Spirit's going to use me. Um, wh- why would God move my spirit for her without me seeing this as more than just that moment? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow up. I'm going to, and it's, I love the restaurant. It's one of my favorite restaurants, so there you go. Um, it's ministry. I can take it off of my taxes. So, <laughs> not true. Um, but but I, I do care about this lady. I care about her soul. And 
we're going to go back there. We're going to visit there, and, and I'm going I'm to talk to her. I can't leave this one hanging. I can't. Why would, why would my heart be moved? It didn't say Peter looked on intently on him and then walked on by. Peter looked intently on him, and then he said. That's the point there. Jacob, were you about to say something? Yeah, but, but I do think it, it's, it, it's important to note the way he said that. But what he says in, in preparing that paradigm is, has to do with life, which the king can't control. The king can control everything else in this. He can, he can give him the supplies, and we see where the king does a lot. But when he says, king, may you live forever, there's got to be, and I don't think this is coincidence. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I, there's got to be this moment in the king's mind where God reminds him at that supernatural kind of moment that says, and you're not in charge of that. May you live forever, but you can't control that. You didn't make you. You can't keep you alive. And when Nehemiah, he's about to start talking about God, when Nehemiah says, it's like he's saying, but I, I know the guy that can keep you alive. You know, that kind of thing. So it, that's what you were saying, right? Okay, yeah. <clears throat> I like to hear me say it, though. It's just. So, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. That's a, it's an interesting way to say that, is it not? The city where my ancestors are buried? Isn't that what we, isn't that the, what we kind of mean when we say my hometown? Except when we say my hometown in America, what do we mean? Yeah, where I grew up, you know. Um, I didn't really ever have a hometown. We moved, my family moved every three years on average. Um, we lived one place like four and a half, five years, as long as I ever lived anywhere. So this is part of the deal with me that the the church I pastored before coming here, I was there for almost 12 years. It's the longest, three times longer than I had ever lived anywhere. That, that, was, that was a big deal for me. When some people say home, like my wife, she lived in the same city all of her life. Well, from the time she was three until we got married. And she only lived in two houses the whole time. I don't understand that. She still, she still, she'll see somebody on Facebook. She was telling me just this last week. Well, so-and-so, I went to high school with her. She moved here to Colorado Springs. I didn't know her that well, yada, yada. And when she said, I went, to, I went to school, she didn't say high school. She said, I went to school with her. Like, I don't know that I could name five people I went to high school, elementary, junior high with. I moved too often. And he's not saying the place I grew up. You understand he's not saying that. Okay, let's go back in our history. Why is Nehemiah 
a slave to Artaxerxes. Who is the people before Artaxerxes? Babylonians. Artaxerxes is part of who? Medes and the Persians. Daniel, in slavery under Babylonians, uh, uh, Medes and Persians come in, and we see they're, they're 70 years, and then the Medes and Persians come in. Now they're under slavery, uh, Artaxerxes. Nehemiah had never lived in Jerusalem, ever. His grandfather probably didn't live in Jerusalem. Okay? But he says, the place where my ancestors are buried. Remember to the Jewish people, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. Now, let's take this from the point of view, uh, Nehemiah is the Holy Spirit for us. Does this statement have anything uh, for us, any bearing on us? There's, a, there's two ways I want us to look at this. There's a macro and there's a micro. The macro is this. The Holy Spirit is saying, um, this is where your ancestors are buried. Okay, let's do a macro. Let's go with this scope way out and let's look at a big picture. God did not design you to have broken walls. From, the, from all the way back into your lineage, your ancestors going all the way back in Adam and Eve, he did not design you to have broken walls. So let's, let's unpack that just a little bit. What are some of the, the when, when the Lord is, is putting us back together, those, that, that piece of God, that putting those fragments back together, building the walls in our life, what are some things that he is trying, and, and I'm saying in a general sense, not you specifically, but humanity, what are some things that he's trying to rebuild? They're just naturally broken in everyone. Okay, that's, that's, that's too big of a subject. You've got to give me more flesh, self, but, but what? Give me some more detailed answer. <clears throat> Once I start naming some, you'll name a bunch. It's kind of hard to process it if you're not thinking about it. What are some of the things that the Lord wants to fix that are broken? Relationships, we can go a lot of different roads there. Family relationships, parent to children. Statistically, look at the stuff that's going on in society. So much in society now with, with uh, abuse, uh, physical abuse from parents to children, sexual abuse, all kinds of stuff like that. Those are broken things in society that the Lord was trying to fix. The Holy Spirit wants to fix these things. Going back in your ancestry line to God, not the ancestor above you. That's the micro. We're going to get to that. Going back in the ancestry mentality, God didn't design humans to be abused by other humans. He didn't. That, that general I was sitting talking with today, so he was a general over special forces for a long time. And, and he, said, I, he said, I've seen so many things. And, and he said, even as... You know, he'd been in Iraq, Afghanistan, like six, seven different tours and all this. And he, and he said, I'm not the guy sitting at the back. I'm the guy carrying the gun. The um, colonel, one-star general, two-star. He said, I'm the guy actually out there It's, it's the because I'm special forces general. And he talks about how 
human beings are not made to kill other humans. We're not made to. God didn't design us that way. He said, but sometimes the cause means you have to. And he said, we don't need to be afraid of doing that when it's necessary. He said, but we also need to understand you're going to be broken when you come back because you're not designed to do that. He said, you're not designed to sit and watch your friends get chewed up by bullets day after day after day. You're not designed that way. And so it breaks you. It's the same thing. We're not designed to be abused. It breaks us. We're not designed to be sexually abused. It breaks us. Relationships across the board, marriage relationships, you're designed by God to have a covenant relationship of unconditional love. But that's broken because of sin. And, and, and the very best of all marriages is going to have issues because you're two different people and that sin nature is always going to be trying to get in there and Satan's always going to be trying to find a way in there to hurt you and, and to make you hurt them. And, and if, we, if we had the, the, a few things, the time and the freedom to actually talk about this, we went around the room, every one of us in here can give examples of things that we have done horribly to other people. Spouses, children, co-workers, friends, family, parents, all kinds of things. horrible stuff that we've said and done over the years. Well, that breaks them and it breaks us too. Why? That's not the way God designed us. That's the sin nature ruling over us to try to get us to go against the image of God that we were created in. Okay? And you can, you can go down the line. Our bodies are not designed to, um, to, to be addicted to meth. That's why your teeth fall out. Your hair falls out. Your body's not designed for that. Your body's not designed to, to smoke cigarettes. Nur and I were talking about this just, uh, what is today? When is it? Just yesterday. He was saying that he, t- he used to tell his patients, I think this is a good example. He called it something. Let me figure out what he called it. Ah, I can't think right now. But he said, he said that this is the example he always used for people. When they'd come in and they weren't exercising and they their diets weren't good, or they were smoking or drinking or stuff like that. He'd always say, okay, it's like this. If your parents send you away to school and your room and board is $50 and they give you $100, said um, you spend the first 50 on your room and board and then you got that 50 to spend on whatever you want, go to the movies, hang out, buy stuff, do all kinds of things. That's extra. If they only send you $60, you still have to have that 50 for room and board, and that only leaves you 10 extra. He said, that's what smoking does to you. You had 100, but you smoked and smoked, and you're now, because he said his patients would always say to him, well, I can outrun you. I said, okay, you may be able to, but you, that 50 has to go to keeping this body alive. And the other 50 could have gone to a lot of other things, exercise and and having a, a quality of life and everything, but you pulled all that back, and you're almost to the wire. You spend ten more dollars, and you got nothing left, because that fifty still has to go to room and board. I thought that is—that's why you're a cardiologist. You're smart. But and we do that with our life spiritually. We do that life relationally. We do that with all kinds of things. Is is we 
we, we spend our lives and we spend down and we spend down, but we're not spending on the important stuff. We're spending on other things. And then someday, we got nothing left and our life is over. We got nothing. We're done. We, we, we can work on stuff. We can work through things. We're not designed to deal with a lot of stuff that we're dealing with. You're, you're not designed to have sickness. You say, no, our immune system, all that stuff, it's all good and all, okay, but it's still an attack against you, and even though your immune system can fight and can fight and can fight, and I believe that the immune system of the body is one of the most amazing things, but e- even this scar, I was thinking about this the other day, this guy went into my arm and sewed up my bicep. Shouldn't that be a cut? Like, shouldn't he have had to cut my whole arm off and gone in there? He took a little bitty cut, and he goes in there, and he puts the tendon back together. And then my body says, okay, I got it from here. That's amazing to me. But here's what we also know, is our bodies can also eventually succumb to the sickness and the disease and the cancer and everything else. And no matter how healthy you live, no matter how you eat right and do all this stuff, you're still going to die someday because the body's broken. You're still going to die someday. God made it amazing, but it wasn't designed to have sickness and disease. It wasn't. It was designed to live forever. I wonder how our immune system worked before the fall. Because it was a live forever immune system. It wasn't a fix us temporarily immune system. I don't know. I got no answer for that. But that's the kind of stuff that keeps me up at night. So... God didn't design us for all this stuff. And this is why, going back in the macro, your ancestors, this is the, if you want to look at it this way, you need to rebuild the walls that the ancestors originally designed. This is why, this would be the terminology they would use. We would use different terminology today, but this would be the terminology they would use. Like my father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I want to go back to that thinking, to that faith to that mentality, to that attitude. Now, you say, well, I don't have those answers. I'm the first generation Christian. I don't have that kind of ancestry, whatever. But you do in a macro sense. You've got the disciples. Those are the apostles. That's your 12 tribes. They're directly connected to the 12 tribes in the Old Testament. And when we get to eternity, all 24 of them are going to be sitting around the table. And and they're representing us. That's your ancestry. Going back to Genesis, that's your ancestry. You do have the ability to say, God, I want to be more like you. How do I find that out? I go back to my ancestors. What did they write? What did they tell me? Not my bloodline ancestor, but my spiritual ancestor. This is the city that my ancestors lived in, and I want to rebuild those walls. It's powerful stuff, guys. You really think about it. Now let's go to the micro. How does that deal with ancestors on a, on a right now sense? There's good and bad here. Okay. Statistically, you know that if your parents were alcoholics, the chances of you being an alcoholic is astronomical. Right? Why? Because your ancestor is handing something to you. And it's not just physical. It can't just be physical. You can't inherit physical alcoholism. It's spiritual first. Then it's also environment mentally, uh, attitudinally, right? You're, you're taught that. Culture, all of that stuff is part of it. But there's a spiritual element too that says they're handing this off to you. 
I'm bound up. I'm addicted. I open the doors for Satan to mess with you the same way. Now, some people, and, and in fact, I, I meet more and more people all the time that, that say this. My parents were alcoholics, which is why I will never touch a drink. They realized, I'm shutting that door. I'm not going to let that be the case. My brother-in-law is one of those. His parents were alcoholics, um, owned, owned a uh, liquor store. In fact, when I first met him, first started dating uh, Linda's sister, uh, he, I would go sit at the uh, liquor store with him. I would, I would go all the time down there and sit. And, and um, I was a youth pastor, and then I'd resign. I was in between, and I would go. And, and people would ask me, Linda would ask me every now and then, or, somebody, or one of her cousins, some, aren't you worried about somebody seeing you go in that liquor store? No. I, who cares what anybody else thinks? I'm not, I, I'm not drinking. I'm not going in there. And if, they, and if they want some goods on me, sure, I'll give them something real. That way they don't have to lie and make it up. Right? Who cares what anybody thinks about that? And I would go and sit in the liquor store with him. He had a little, little TV in there, and we'd just sit and talk. And, you know, people coming in, he's checking them out and doing all this kind of, kind of stuff. And I'd just sit there talking to him about Jesus. Talking, he wasn't a Christian. Talking to him about the Lord, talking to him about the Bible, talking to him about Jesus in the liquor store. And it was interesting because every now and then you get the person that comes in, you know, and they're buying, uh, you know, a fifth and a, a 12 pack or something like that. And they hear me talking to him, and we're talking about Jesus. And I was like, yeah, I, I, I love Jesus. I, I'm a Christian. I, you know. And I'm like, all right, whatever. I'm sure you do. I think you love something else a little more. But that's just, you know, try not to be judgmental. But it, it's just, it's interesting. Uh, it just the ancestors hand stuff down to you. They do. Have you ever looked in the mirror and saw your mother or your father? And every now and then, every now and then you go, oh, this is such a wonderful moment I've had. And I see my parent right there. That is awesome. Every now and then. But most of the time, what are we saying? Oh, my goodness. Was that just my dad? Right? I'm not, I'm, I'm not the only one. I know this. Some of you are, Okay. Now, I say this to Linda all the time. I'll call her Sandy. That's her mom's name. And I, I just say, hey, Sandy. Most of the time, I don't mean it negative. She knows that. Her, I love her mother. Her mother's amazing. But when she's got her hair back and she puts her glasses on and she does something, she, she's her mother's twin. When I married Linda, this is the woman that was her mother. She's that age. Actually, she's much older now because we got married 20. Her mother was 40. She's older, but I see her mom. I see her mom all the time. The only, you know, I don't want to see it like when I'm leaning in to kiss her. Those are the moments I'm like, Sandy, you know, I got to slow down. I got to back up a little bit because, oh, but, but I, it's a compliment, but sometimes it's not. Not usually with her and Sandy, but when she says to me, let's make it real. When she says to me, Gary, she's not being nice. That's my dad. She's not being nice. And, and I, it very, very, very rarely can I argue with her. I know I'm being Gary right now. Right? Our, our ancestors can hand good to us and they can hand bad to us. In the big picture, let's go back to our, our imperishable seed ancestor. That starts with Jesus Christ. 
Let's go back to that ancestor. Say, that's where my identity comes from. That's who I am. We don't, we don't have time to unpack the rest. It's, it's time, so I want to finish. But, but um, I would like to, but it'll take too long. Just, I've, I've got a lot more. So we'll, we'll start here week after next. We'll start right here, finish it up. Um, and then starting with verse 6, wait a second. Please just send it back. Um, in verse 7, verse 7 starts the next kind of section, and that's when he's actually talking about building the walls. This is where we're going to get a lot deeper into our personal walls. Now, It does. We don't have time tonight. Yeah, we, we don't have time, but it does. And what he answers the king is actually pretty important too. The fact that it says that she's sitting, all that stuff, it's actually important. It has, it has reason and purpose. So we'll, we'll, um, we'll get to that. We'll, but, but it's, we don't have, it'll take 15, 20 minutes just to start walking through that. So, all right. So how, how are we going to pray? What are you going to pray about? What's the Holy Spirit putting on your heart? That's huge. Yeah. 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 Um. Yeah, I, um, I, I, I don't have time to unpack all this, but you're right. The fact that he stops and it says, and he prayed, then he said. Um, although he had already spent in chapter 1 days praying and fasting, when the king said, what's wrong? He stopped and he prayed before he answered. Yeah, we could unpack that. We will. We'll unpack that quite a bit. Um, so, yeah, that's a good place to, to pray about. God, help me be that guy. Help me be. You know, in today's society, the answer is don't ever send an email um, in anger. Don't ever send an email in retort. In order to, you know, why? Because... It may sound okay for you, but you, you better stop and pray. If you would stop and pray before sending specifically confrontational um, verbiage back and forth, it's amazing how you may save some things, some relationships. Yeah. The stupid one is the one that goes on Facebook and uh, gets put on billboards with your picture. Okay, so that's a good thing. What else are we praying about? Yeah, kind of the same thing we've been praying the last two or three weeks, that this has got to be included. Lord, show me where the walls in my life are broken. Help me, I would say, maybe even pray, God, help me to want you to show me this stuff. Help me to desire this so that I can deal with these things. And then just progress from there. Lord, what, now that you've shown me, help me deal with it. 
Now that I'm dealing with it, help me deal with it properly. I mean, you could just progress right down that line. And that's what we're doing over the next couple months with this. So, All right, so let's pray. God, we thank you for you and uh, your love for us. Lord, I, I believe you love us so amazingly. And, and we'll never understand the true depths of that and the, the magnitude of that. That, you, that you've literally given us everything. You've given us thousands of years worth of stories and understanding and truths just so that we can know you and serve you. That we don't have to do this blindly, Lord God, but you actually give us information. We don't have to do this about us, but we can make it about you. That, e that even right here in this room, that you want to pull us in close to you and make it about you. Lord, help us to, help us to really look at the, the areas of our life, the walls around our, our spirit, the, the, that, that space between our flesh and our soul. Lord, help us to build those walls and take away the junk and the baggage and the, and the self and the stuff, the things we struggle with so much. God, we want to get those things away from us, clean ourselves from all those things. Let your Holy Spirit just move through and wash all that stuff out so that we can be right with you and we can be more like you and less like us. God, put the broken pieces back together. Show us what they are and help us with it. And God, I, I do pray that help us to, to stop and pause and pray before we do things, before we say things, before we act, before we uh, approach situations so that we can be in you when we're doing this. And God, we thank you. We thank you. Lord, Josh and Liz are driving back tonight. Um, keep them safe. Lord, keep them safe and bring them back to us, a little Sawyer. And uh, God, same with my wife, come back from the Dominican, keep her safe. And uh, thank you for all the things that you're doing. God, thanks for bringing Josh back and uh, using him so wonderfully and powerfully there. God, we, we, we thank you for, for doing that with him. Just, that's cool, God. Thank you for that. And uh, use us, use us all. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All righty, bye-bye.